Welcome to The Readings Podcast, a celebration of books. I'm Nico Kelly. In today's episode, a conversation with Kate J. Armstrong, author of the new YA novel, Lightbirds. In a dazzling new fantasy world full of whispered secrets and political intrigue, the magic of women is outlawed, but three girls with unusual gifts have the chance to change it all. Filled with sumptuous cinematic writing and dazzling details, Nightbirds is a fiercely feminist fantasy debut, where the most potent magic lies not in a kiss, but in the truth. Armstrong was interviewed by Reading's marketing assistant, Lucy Des. Here's Lucy. My name's Lucy and I'm joined today by Kate J. Armstrong, author of Nightbirds. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I have finished the book and I loved it. So firstly, would you be able to tell me a little bit about the book? Oh, you're going to make me pitch it. I'll do my best. <laughs> so Nightbirds is about a world with a 1920s style prohibition, except it's not on booze, it's on magic. And there are a secret group of girls called Nightbirds who can gift their rare type of magic with a kiss for a price. They gift their magic to members of the city's rich and influential great houses for a couple of seasons. And then at the end of all of that, they're expected to marry into one of the great houses and pass their magic on to the next generation. But as a political plot threatens to unmask their identities, they start to question whether the system that is supposed to keep them safe is actually a kind of gilded cage. Yes, oh, it's an incredible plot and I absolutely loved it. Could you tell me a little bit about the world building because it's just so detailed and you really take the time to create such an incredible magical world. Thank you. When I sat down to write Nightbirds, I knew it was my first fantasy set in a secondary world and I wanted it to be immersive and to really sweep readers away. And so for that, I turned to history. I have a podcast called The Explores, which the premise of the show is that we go time traveling back through history to a certain time and place to find out what life was like for women there. So that's all about the details of what people were wearing, what kinds of things were they eating. I really want people to feel transported by that podcast. and. In researching for the Explores, I found a lot of nuggets from different periods of history that I thought would be so interesting in a fantasy world. So one of those was 1920s Prohibition. In Nightbirds, you have something very similar. You have a law where magic has been made illegal. And I knew I wanted there to be a couple of different kinds of magic in this world. So there's alchemical magic, which can be brewed up into potions and put into cocktails, and it can give you gifts like being able to speak another language for a couple of minutes, or it makes your skin glow, or it can make your teeth look pointy, you know, just for something, <laughs> just for a fun night out. Alchemical magic is something that can be crafted with certain ingredients by those who know how to do that, but it's very fleeting. It tends to be surface level. It's pretty easy to catch. So there are prohibition agents called wardens. If you're caught, you can be fined, you can be put through inquisition, you can be put in jail. But the nightbirds have something that's much rarer and more potent. So it's an intrinsic kind of magic that runs through bloodlines, and it's something that only women have. And I was really intrigued by playing with the idea, not just of a prohibition on magic, but the idea of 
women with magic who can gift it with a kiss. I was doing a lot of reading about courtesans through history, different periods of history. And one thing I found so fascinating about their stories was what a double-edged situation that being a courtesan could be. On one hand, you had women, for example, in ancient Greece, they were called heteri, and they were these high-class courtesans who would go to parties, and it was their job to be entertaining, to be witty, and they had more power than most other women in the ancient Western world. They had the ears of philosophers and politicians. Behind the scenes, they were writing speeches. They had all this influence, and they had a lot more freedom than most women of that time. But also being a courtesan, and certainly depending on what situation you were in, also can make people really vulnerable. And it's dangerous, and it can be very exploitative by its nature. And so with the Nightbirds, I wanted to create a system where you have these girls who are treasured and who are protected and cherished for the magic that they have. And so on one hand, you look at them and they're very privileged. And it's a system through which they can claim a lot of power, even though they're giving a piece of themselves away, they're getting, or at least they're told they're getting a lot in return, right? (laughs) But also looked at from a different angle, it's very exploitative. These girls are being valued for what they can give away to other people. And one of the things about the Nightbirds is they are brought up believing that they cannot use their own magic, that, you know, the girls of your Girls from an ancient past called firebirds, they used to have big magic that they could use for themselves. But as time has gone on, that magic has evolved and changed. And now the girls at least believe that they don't have the power to use their magic for themselves. They can only gift it to others. And over the course of the story, they may or may not discover that that might not be (laughs) true. But yes, I was really interested in looking at this system where a girl could claim power, but she could also be exploited. And just to look at the two sides of that coin... Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, I spent a lot of time developing the world. I used history as a framework, but then I spent a lot of time thinking about what kinds of details are going to make a reader love this world and feel like they'd actually spent time there by the time they get to the end of the novel. So lots of underground speakeasies and clubs where you need a secret password and masked balls and jazz and took a lot of inspiration from my time traveling through places like New Orleans and Venice and Melbourne as well. So my joint hometowns of Melbourne, Australia and Washington, D.C. with their secret laneways and hidden clubs. I'm glad you like the world building because it was one of my favorite things to create. Yeah, I definitely got that jazzy vibe while I was reading it. It's definitely, definitely nailed all that on the head. You write from the perspective of three protagonists and I sometimes I read books and their voices all merge together, but I didn't find that with yours. I found they were very distinct. How did you go about doing that? Did you find that difficult? Well, I'm glad it felt that way to you. I knew I wanted the story to be multi-point of view, but when the idea first came to me for Nightbirds, I started with one particular character, Matilde. So she's the veteran Nightbird of the trio. She's very much what you'd call a legacy Nightbird. Her grandmother was a Nightbird. She was raised believing that she would be one, and she's someone who's really bought into the system, hook, line, and sinker. She doesn't see anything wrong with it. It benefits everyone. She loves being a Nightbird. She's not as enamored by the idea of being pushed into an arranged marriage, but otherwise, she thinks the system works just fine. I wanted to write a story that was about 
a girl gang. It was about not just one of these nightbirds, but all of them together and the adventures that they that they go on. And so Mathilde came to me first. Her point of view and her way of looking at their world was very clear to me from the beginning. So I asked myself, who would really push and challenge the way she looks at the world? I need girls who are coming at the nightbird system from a very different perspective. So from there, I came up with Sayer, who grew up in the same city as Mathilde. She is also from a great house, but she's had such a different upbringing than Mathilde. Her mother was a nightbird who fell from grace. She essentially broke the rules of the system and ended up something of an outcast because of it. And so Sayer has grown up in a gritty part of town. She's friends with cutthroats and gangsters, and she has a real score to settle with this world that she feels exiled and turned away from her and her mother. So she is someone who I knew would really push and challenge the way Mathilde looks at her family, looks at the nightbird system. She kind of has one foot in and one foot out of this glitzy, glamorous world. And very early on in the story, she and Mathilde get into a bit of an argument in which she compares the nightbird system to a brothel. Mathilde is very disturbed by this comparison. And she said, well, the way you talk about it, it's like we're call girls. And Sarah says, well, aren't we? They continue to butt heads through the story. But I think because they start out looking at the system from such different lenses, it takes them a while to get to know each other. But I think they teach each other a lot. And it makes it more satisfying. And you see them start to, to bond as they go through many trials and tribulations. But my third character, Asa, is very much an outsider. She comes from a place called the Ilish Isles, which is a teeny rural island, pretty much at the, the far end of the Eudean Republic, which is the world in which Nightbirds is set. She's a fish out of water. She didn't even know Magic Ran and her family. She is unsure of everything from the language and customs of the city to what being a nightbird means. And in the Nightbird's world, the official church of the Republic essentially teaches that magic is something holy that is not to be touched, it's not to be used, and that women with magic essentially corrupt it when they try to use it. So she has a lot of moral qualms and questions about what does it mean not just to have this magic inside me, but what does it mean if I give it to someone else? Am I going to corrupt them? Is it going to corrupt me? The way she thinks about her magic is so different from Mathilde and Sayer. So I started with Mathilde as the center point and built the other characters around her, but I didn't want them to feel like sidekicks. I wanted yeah. them to feel like their own distinct personalities and they have their own journeys. But I also wanted them to start out, they're really not friends at the beginning of the no. novel. They, <laughs> they are not friends. They, they can't see each other's perspectives. They have nothing in common except for the magic that they share. But as the story goes on and certain truths are revealed, I really wanted it to be a story about how friendship makes us stronger. And as the story goes on, these particular girls find out that they amplify each other's magic. So the more time they spend together, the stronger their magic gets. But it's also the stronger they get. You know, I loved writing a story where these girls who start out, not exactly adversaries, but not friends, end up providing such a source of strength for each other. It was really lovely. And one of my favorite tropes is like enemies to friends. And I think you nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> the book ends with to be continued. It does. 
What can you tell us about book two? It's funny to me when I read reviews and readers complain that I've ended on a cliffhanger. <laughs> I, I thought it ended. It's certainly uh, to be continued, but I think it it wasn't a true cliffhanger. I don't totally leave you no, in the middle of the action. No, I, think you, <laughs> I think you did well in that way, yeah. Thank you. Without giving too much away... A lot of the girls' preconceived notions about their magic, about their world, about the nightbird system are really stripped away, and they're starting to have to redefine who they are in the world and what they're going to do with the gifts that they have. So in book two, we're going to see the stakes raised. Uh, We're going to see the girls... Well, they start out, first of all, they start out all scattered to the winds, so the girls have to find their way back to each other. And we only saw hints of the kinds of magic they could do in book one when they joined forces. And we're going to see that come to its full fruition in book two. We're also going to see more romance, more kissing for sure. (laughs) And um, we're going to get to see a little bit more of the Eudean Republic. So we're going to go outside of the city of Simta and see a couple of other locales. So yeah, lots, lots more intrigue, lots more excitement. I did love that about Nightbirds is that Romance was, like, not even secondary. It was, like, third, really. <laughs> like, I love a book about friendship and family and stuff, and, but still having that touch of romance is always nice too. <laughs> yeah, and with three point-of-view characters, I mean, I love romance. It's really hard for me to write a story without any of it in there. <laughs> but there are different kinds of romantic tension and chemistry. I mean, I wanted book one to really be about the girls and about their developing friendship and them leaning on each other. But yes, there were, there were some hints of yes. potential romance for each of the girls and we're going to see those develop a little bit more in book two. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so can you tell us how the book changed throughout your writing and then through the publishing process? Mm, that's a great question. The book was longer. (laughs) It was longer in draft form. I am someone who tends to overwrite. When I write a draft, I throw everything in there I can think of, everything I want to explore, lots of feelings and lots of world building too. I think sometimes there, there are things that you can only figure out on the page. I am getting better at planning and better at outlining, especially writing a series. But there's just a certain alchemy that happens when you get to a certain point in a draft where your characters start to say, nope, you're going in the wrong direction, please take (laughs) a left. (laughs) And certain aspects of a world start to reveal themselves to you. So the draft was very long. I think it was 130,000 words. And some very wise writer friends of mine said, we need to trim that down a little (laughs) bit before you send it out to editors. I certainly had to hone the magic system and the world a little bit the political system. I mean, there's just, when you're creating a world from scratch, there's so much thinking and work you have to do. And then you have to figure out how much of this do we need on the page and how much can we leave off? Because I could have written five books about all of the different details about how this world works, but you need to figure out which ones serve the story and which ones do I as the author need to know, but the reader does not. So there was a lot of figuring that out. And then, as we were talking about before, making sure that all three characters sounded strong and unique. I think Mathilde, she's a a sassy lass and has a very strong voice, and she came the most naturally to me, I think. So 
in early drafts, I think she could sometimes overwhelm the narrative a little bit. And I knew I didn't want that. I wanted a balance between the three. So there was a little bit of work in kind of turning up Asa and Sayer and turning Mathilde down just a touch. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely think she was my favorite. Oh, good. Yeah. I definitely connected with her the most. I have a soft spot for her. Yeah. (laughs) Who is your favorite out of the three? Oh, it's so hard to choose. I love them all. But I think... Matilde is the one that for whatever reason continues to speak to me the most. She and I are very different people, but there's something about, I think there's something very relatable about how she has so many truths about herself rocked. I mean, she is a character who starts the story so sure of her world, sure she knows who's who and what's what. And so much of that gets pushed and challenged, especially when it comes to her relationship with her family. One of the things I love about Nightbirds is Mathilde has a very strong relationship with her grandmother, who was once a Nightbird. And Mathilde feels very seen by her grandmother and that her grandmother understands her struggles with the Nightbird system and that she's expected to marry someone that, who is not exactly of her choosing. Mm-hmm. But as the story goes on and some truths come to light about her grandmother, that her grandmother hasn't always told her the full truth about her magic and about being a nightbird. She's forced to grapple with looking at this woman who is so important to her and a role model to her and to realize that she's a person who has made mistakes, that she was young once, that perhaps the path she took isn't the path that Mathilde wants to take herself. And what does that mean for her? So I don't know. There was something about that that for me... I have a soft spot for Matilda and for the journey that she goes through. Yeah. I can't wait to see her in book two. I think she's going to be a powerful force. Mm -hmm. can't wait. She's going to light some things on fire, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in the powerful words of our great goddess Taylor Swift, Mm -hmm. um, who once said, fuck the patriarchy. Yes. How important was that phrase in this book? Very important. Do you know, sometimes you don't know what you're writing until someone else reads it and they tell you what (laughs) it is you've written. And I'll never forget when my Australian publisher, the first time I spoke to her on the phone, she said to me, you know what I love about this book, Kate? It's just so full of female rage. And I, I don't know why that struck me so forcefully in that moment, but I had never thought about Nightbirds in quite that way. But as soon as she said it, it just was like she'd struck a tuning fork inside me. And I thought, it is filled with female rage. And while I can't say that I started out writing the book with that in mind, I certainly channeled so many of the experiences that I had as a teenage girl that when I was a teacher, the experiences that a lot of my students would talk to me about, the frustrations of being talked over, of being belittled, of being told that my value lies in what I can give away rather than who I am, being told to be nice and to smile and that I should be making other people comfortable. All of that ended up in Nightbirds. All three of these characters grapple with things that I think young people generally, especially young women, grapple with. So that was always really important to me to have these girls pushing back against what is in my book a very patriarchal system and to start to say, how about I stop giving away my power and instead I own it and I find my own way to use it. Yeah, that was definitely my favorite part of the book. Screw all the men. <laughs> there are a lot of bad men in Nightmares. Look, there's some great men too, but yes, there are a lot, of, a, lot of, uh, a lot of bad men. And yeah, I hope that 
that readers take that away. I hope the book helps to make them feel empowered. And yes, the, the feminist themes were really important to me. Yeah. And I think they're integral to the story. Now I need, I can't let you go without talking about the cover. It's absolutely stunning. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of that? Did you, was it just given to you or did you have some say in it? Yeah, I was very lucky. I worked in publishing as an editor, a nonfiction editor for a long time. And I, like most editors and authors, had very distinct ideas about what covers mm -hmm. I liked and didn't. And one of the things I said really early on to my team was, I just am not sold on face covers. I don't know if I like <laughs> face covers, which just goes to show that sometimes the author thinks they know what's best, yes. but they don't always, because I ended up with the most amazing face cover. It's completely different to what I had originally envisioned, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I love this cover. So the process was that my publisher said, here's a mood board, here's what we're thinking of in terms of general direction, and here are four or five illustrators whose work we think might fit. And they were all amazing artists, but this particular artist, Ikit, I saw his work and just fell immediately in love with it. And he does these incredible pieces of really fierce looking girls surrounded by animals and often surrounded by birds. And I went, well, we won't even have to change anything. We could just pick a piece of his art and roll with it. So that's more or less what we did. We identified one piece that he'd already done. And I said, I think this is perfect, but there are some things, little changes that I'd like just yeah. so she just to, to suit the story a little more. And he, I believe he didn't have, like he'd based the piece on an actual person and he didn't have the model release anymore. So he said, well, we're going to have to change her face a bit so she doesn't resemble this yes. real life person <laughs> and is in fact a made up person. But it gave us a great opportunity to suggest a couple of changes to bring her more in line with some of the characters in my book. And the end result was just so beautiful. So we had this amazing girl with birds in her hair. And then my cover designer took that and had to figure out basically how to craft the, the background. And I think my publishing team, the thing they were most concerned about was this is a beautiful piece of art, but it needs to be clear when you look at this cover that this book is full of magic. Yes. So we need feminism, we need intrigue, and we need magic. So they played with a couple of different uh, treatments and they ended up with the cover as it is, with kind of the blue aura glow going on around the girl. And I was just blown away by the art, by what they did with it, by, I just love everything about the cover. And I feel like it not only reflects what the book is about, but it's just beautiful to look at. It's so beautiful, yeah. Thank you. I'm very just, lucky. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yes, need to read. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you were also lucky enough to have not only one, two book maps mm -hmm. was that a necessity for you or was it like for me I'd be like I don't care if I'm writing contemporary I need a map I'm like oh yeah, yeah. I'm just such a dream come true for me my first job as an editor I worked for a travel company who made travel guides and maps and so I very much cut my professional teeth on maps and I've always loved them I think they're beautiful they tell a story so yeah I always wanted a map and my editor emailed me and said, would you like some maps, plural, <laughs> for Nightbirds? And I said, I'm sorry. I hope that wasn't a typo because I'm <laughs> never letting you take that back. So I just got really, really lucky that my publisher was willing to create maps for the book. And the illustrator who made both maps actually draws them by hand 
which when you look at these maps, it's just wild to think yeah. that she, so she, she sketched them out in pencil and they were based on, I had drawn, I'm not, I'm not an artist. <laughs> um, I had drawn some maps that were very lumpy looking and very simple, but said, this is the general look, the, the general, where everything should go and the shape of these places. And then she asked me a lot of questions about what's the vibe of this world? Is it more witchy? Is it Renaissance? You know, what kinds of symbols are important? What do you want the maps to feel like? And then she sketched them out in pencil and I gave a, just a couple of small corrections. Although frankly, even these sketches were insane. They were amazing. And then she inked them in using a calligraphy pen. I have a video of her doing it, and I still can't get over what an incredible talent she is. But yeah, so we ended up with these two beautiful maps, one of the Udayan Republic and then one of the, the city of Simta. And I'm just so enchanted by them. And I think they lend a lot to a story, a fantasy story especially, with a big world. It's just nice to be able to see where our characters are spending time and adds a depth and I think makes the world feel even more real. Absolutely. So before you go, can you just finish with telling me what you're currently reading? I am rereading a book that is coming out in just a couple of weeks by Amy Kaufman. It's called The Isles of the Gods and it is amazing. It is a high seas adventure with uh, a war on the horizon and a spoiled prince and a cranky sailor girl who has no time for his nonsense. And um, Amy is so great at ensemble casts and witty banter, and I'm just loving it just as much as I did the first time I read it. And I've also just finished A Restless Truth by Freya Marsk. It's the second book in her The Last Binding trilogy, which I loved a lot. It's essentially a murder mystery. It's like a historical murder mystery with magic set on a boat with queer ladies. So it's just Ooh. so many things that I love all in one place. And I just think her writing is delightful. So I shouldn't ask that question. It adds too many books to my TV. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. Thank you again for writing such a beautiful book. And I can't wait for the second one. Oh, it was my pleasure. I loved talking to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. <laughs> Nightbirds is available from all reading stores and on our website, where you can stream previous episodes of the Readings Podcast. You'll also find all kinds of other recommendations for read books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to eNews or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of the show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge traditional owners of this land and pay my earnest respects to elders past and present. Thank you. Thank you.